Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today with me is civil rights activist and a hell of a keyboard player, Daryl Davis. Uh, thank you, Brian. <laughs> thank you, Daryl. Good to have you here. Too bad we can't play some music. But hey, we, we will one day for sure. Yeah, there, there we will. And hopefully in the White House. Yeah. So, <laughs> Daryl's going to talk to us a little bit about the uh, incoming Biden administration and the problems Biden faces regarding unity. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, and we're back. It's Just Ask the Question, and I am your host, Brian Karam. And as I said, with me here today is Daryl Davis. He's, uh, well, a civil rights activist. He's also a hell of a keyboard player. But the reason why we've got Daryl here today is because Daryl has a unique experience among anybody else that I've known in my entire life. Daryl has sat down uh, as an African-American man, talked to members of the Ku Klux Klan, asked them why they didn't like him if they don't even know him, and talked a lot of them out of their robes. And I believe, Daryl, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't you even uh, a godfather to the Grand Wizard's uh, uh, daughter in Maryland? I was, I was, a, I was a godfather to, uh, to his daughter, the Grand yeah. Dragon's daughter, yeah. So I figure we're talking about unity. Biden's coming into office. Trump doesn't want to let him in, but that he, who cares? He's, Biden will be our president January 20th. And other than the coronavirus, he faces, the other big problem he faces is the divisiveness in this country. And I have heard members of the far right and the far left go, look, I can't excuse their behavior. I'll never be able to sit down with them. I figured if anybody could get anybody to sit down and talk to anyone, it would be you. So my question is, what do you do to bring the far extremes together and get them to talk? Okay, well, you first of all, you have to learn how do they communicate? What do they base their decisions upon? Are their decisions upon based upon logic or are they based upon emotion? And then you have to deal with those people at that level. Like for example, uh, all of us learn. Some of us learn orally, some of us learn visually. It doesn't make us make one better than the other. It's just how we process information. Uh, some people are geared more towards uh, making decisions based upon logic. Others are geared more towards making them based upon feel. And if somebody, uh, a lot of the, of the far right people are based upon, upon emotion. It does not make them a bad person. A lot of the far left are based upon logic. And in order to communicate with somebody who is based upon emotion, you can't present logic. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not grasping that. Just like, you know, if you go to a scientist uh, and you want to try to prove something to him, you can't tell him about how you feel. You, you got to tell, tell him logically. You, know, you got to present data and, and, and stats and all this kind right. of stuff. That's how his brain, his brain uh, organizes things. So, you know, a lot of times it's a, it's a, uh, a uh, impasse in communication. But once you learn this, it is possible to bring those two far sides together to the middle. With all the... Uh discourse that's gone under the bridge and all the hatred and the Karens and the uh, snowflakes and the socialists and uh, all a of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you know what? The well has to be cleaned out from the bottom. All right. You've got to stir it up and then, you, and then all the dirt comes up to the surface. You clean it out and then you refill the well. Uh, this is the best time of our lives. What's, what's going on right now with all the pro, you know, and I don't mean it to, to be uh, morbid because coronavirus certainly has taken almost a quarter of a million people out here in our right. country. And that's nothing to, you know, to, to joke about or say it's the best time of whatever. But 
This is the best time of the 21st century so far. We are turning a page. A lot of changes are being implemented. A lot of things are being addressed that should have been solved decades ago. Uh, mistreatment of women. Women now have the Me Too movement uh, as of the 21st century. Uh, more, there's been more discussions now this year alone uh, or in the last four years about race. Yes. Okay, and these are things you know, that people didn't talk about before. So even though there may be a lot of bitterness, a lot of contention, these things are finally being discussed instead of being swept under the carpet or locked in the closet. And you know, whenever there's gonna be change, because people are creatures of habit, and whenever there's gonna be change, there's gonna be some civil unrest and some upheaval. But that's what I mean by stirring the bottom of the well to clean it. That's what we have to do. And uh, yes, this is the best time, and, but we have to handle it properly and not handle it with violence and insults and vitriol and all that kind of thing. Right. But but let's let's talk about it. Let's bring it together. Okay. So let's talk about that. How do you get someone who thinks emotionally not to bring vitriol or emotion to the argument? What do you what because do you because if they think emotionally, then and and that can apply to anybody. Somebody on the left, somebody on the right doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't, if, doesn't if matter. But if yeah, if you're wired for it, it doesn't matter what color you are, how much money you have, who you right. worship or not. Right. So you have to give that person an example using emotion that, that uh, describes or defines how you're feeling about something and then they can relate. But if you try to- For example. To, yeah, for example, I feel, I pay, so, some, so somebody feels that, um, that uh, let's say um, Donald Trump says that uh, we need more people here from Norway uh, instead of coming into this country from these asshole, from these yeah. asshole countries, right? We can say shithole. We're on. We're on a podcast. Okay. All right. So yeah. So he says, you know, why are all these people coming from shithole countries? We need. We need more people coming in here from Norway. Uh, so people who uh, who are like supporting him, for example, who are emotional, right? They feel. They don't think. They feel that they are losing their country. That their their landscape is changing, and they're and they're losing their standing in their own country from these people with these shithole uh, come come from shithole countries, right? So rather than me try to give them stats, like, listen, there are more rapists and murderers right here in our own country consisting of Americans than there are coming in from overseas, all right? That, that's not gonna change how they feel. So then I gotta point out how I feel. Well, wait a minute, you don't have a problem with me, do you? Well, no, I don't have a problem with you. Well, guess what? My ancestry is from one of those countries that he just called a shithole. How do you think I feel? How would you feel if I called you know, your ancestral uh, homeland, a shithole, then they relate because it's another emotion. So, oh, right. I, I, you, know, you got a point there, I see that. So if, if they're coming from a logical point of view and, and, you're, and they're giving you data as to why these people can't come in, then you provide data for them because that's what they understand. Right, so if someone says to you, Daryl, I can't stand what he's talking about. Immigration has got to stop, we're losing our country, white people are losing their rights to black people. This is horrible. How do well, you know that? That, you know, that is simply untrue. What they are losing is the color of their landscape. And, you know, evolution, you cannot stop evolution. Uh, you're right. I just, I suppose that they're, what they're really upset about is losing their privilege and mistake their privilege for everyone else's rights. But how do you- Most of them, them don't that? even- a lot of them don't even realize they have privilege because they've had a, they were born I mean, with that's it. That's true. <laughs> that's so, so you know, very how, true. How do you lose what you don't even know you have? You know, listen, <laughs> listen. White women had to fight for the right to vote. Yes. Black people in this country had to fight for the right to vote. To vote. The only people who were born with the right to vote were white males. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they've always had it. White male so, landowners in the beginning. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. couldn't even, you could be a white male and not own land and you'd be screwed too. But yeah. they quickly took care of that because they figured white guys got to stick together. <laughs> so I, I understand the problem, but how, I mean, on, on an emotional level, I have since the election, I have spoken to people on the right, people I play music with, people I, I know who were Trump supporters and say, it's a hoax. They're never, the, the, uh, the virus, 
the virus is a hoax. The uh, election was uh, tainted rigged. and rigged. You know where I'm going, and mm-hmm. you, and you probably know some of the people I'm talking about. And and how do you reach to out to them? How would you do that? Well, I'd a- I'd ask for the proof. Show me show me the proof. Because I mean, some of these same people are going to believe that that Barack Obama wasn't born in this country because Donald Trump initially said so. And, but we've already proven that he was. And finally, Donald Trump admitted that, that he was. So what, what does it take? What does it take for you to believe that, that Donald Trump can be mistaken or that Donald Trump has lied? What proof do you need? And when they, and when they reveal that proof that they need, then you provide that proof because it's out there. We have it, we yeah. have it, okay? But they have a hard time giving you hard evidence as, as, as to what proof they need because they just take his word verbatim. There's nothing wrong with voting for Donald Trump if that's, if that's what you want to do. Right. We, we all have that right. And I've always said uh, that, because I, uh, I would say, I, I have probably, I would say 50-50 uh, friends who vote for Trump and those who didn't, or yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe 60-40, 60 um, did not vote for Trump, 40% voted for Trump. Um, I've always said that not everybody who votes for Donald Trump is a racist, but every racist votes for Donald Trump. Yeah, I'd accept that as true. Yeah, and this is the first time that we've seen this kind of dynamic happen. With past presidents, whether it's Obama, Bush, Clinton, Carter, whoever, each one of those presidents had one base, and, and everybody in that base more or less liked each other and supported that one candidate, that same candidate. For the first time, we're seeing a a candidate or president that has two bases, Donald Trump. He has two bases. He has this base here that is not racist, that likes him. And he has a base over here that is racist, that likes him. And the two bases don't like each other. The the non-racists say, no, I would never be involved with the KKK. You know, and the KKK doesn't like the non-racists because they're too liberal and they're, and they're race traders. They have black friends and all that kind of stuff. And they have Jewish friends. And Misogyny. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they don't like each other, but yet they both support the same candidate. All right. So what you got to do in a case like that is you got you to gotta strengthen the middle. You got to strengthen the middle. And so that way it pulls them together because everybody wants, you know, wants some kind of power. So now if you're on the fringe... And, and the middle is being strengthened, it pulls from the sides. So how do you reach, okay, so there's, we're reaching out to the right, but let's not forget that there's the left, the far right. left, which sometimes can be as problematic as the far right. Not sometimes, it is as problematic <laughs> as the far right. I, I was trying to be, <laughs> I was trying to be kind. I find them as obnoxious as the far right. right. Which, is, which is why you have to go towards the middle, strengthen the middle, build the middle, and that will suck in from the sides. And how do and you the, do that? The far left will start approaching the middle, so will the far right. How do you do that? Because, all- because the middle, they are a lot easier to talk to. And, but, you know, they're on a fence. You know, do the, you know, should I go more left or should I go more right? Even though I'm, I'm with the same person or whatever. You strengthen right. that middle. And, that, and, and, and how do you strengthen the middle, though? That's the question. Because they're more apt to sit how? down and no, have- No, I know why. How? Uh, how do you do it? By, by framing conversations, not debates. Of course, you're going, you are going to debate some things, but you frame it as a conversation. Because as soon as you say the word debate, people have their hackles up and they're ready to, you know, to, to duke it out or whatever. Frame it as a conversation. Do not let your emotions get in front of you. You know who you are, all right? Uh, this, you know, these people don't know who you are. They, you know, they, they're just meeting you for the first time. And we're going to we're going to discuss a common topic. You're on one side; they're on the other. But you know, if you if you allow them to define who you are by calling you a libtard or a right wing racist or all these other kind of names that you know we hear flying around, right. uh, you are defeating your own purpose when you let those emotions get in front of you. Uh, you know who you are. If you don't know who you are, you have no business meeting with your adversary because they will tell you who you are, and and, and depending upon where, where your self-esteem is, you might believe them, you know, and, and leave, and leave I'm there. I'm a piece of shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going home. I didn't yeah. know that before. 
I'm, gl I'm, gl I'm glad I came to this meeting. I found yeah. who I am. <laughs> so when we, um, I, I want to save the second block for a hypothetical, but I'd like you to tell me if you could, it, it, for people who don't know, and I, I've had you on the show before, you're a good friend, I love you to death, but the story that you tell, I think bears repeating again about playing in a, uh, you were playing country music, I guess, in a, right. in a honky tonk, when you met the head of the uh, Maryland uh, KKK. Well, it wasn't the head, it was one of his members and the, one who, of his members. who arranged for me to meet the head later on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, country music had made a resurgence. And so all the bars that were playing top 40 switched their format to country. The movie Urban Cowboy had been out and you know, changed the music scene with the mechanical bull and all these country line dances. Yeah, we know who to blame. Yep. <laughs> and so um, I joined- Got rid of my R&B, damn it. <laughs> and, and disco. Um, I joined a well, country a band, so an authentic oh. country band. And uh, these guys have been around. They're pretty well established in the area. And so they needed a keyboard player. I joined, I got the gig. And so I was the only black guy in the band and usually the only black guy wherever we played. So I became a novelty to a lot of people because you know, they didn't know any of the black people that played country other than Charlie Pride, you know, or one or two others. And, and almost every time I'd play one of these places, they would ask me to do some Charlie Pride song. And, and I would intentionally not do it. Not, not that I couldn't do it, but I, I didn't want them to think, oh, well, all, all black you know, country people do, do Charlie Pride. So right. I, would, I would do Hank Williams. I, I would do Willie Nelson. I would do George Jones songs and let, and let one of the white guys in the band sing a Charlie Pride song. You know, th that, that's how you subliminally educate people. You know, don't yeah. give them what they expect of you or what they perceive, because here's the thing. One's perception is one's reality. Yes. All right. So you cannot change somebody else's reality. Don't even try. What you want to do is offer them a different perspective. And if they, you know, latch on and think about your, your perspective, then they will change their own reality. Right. So focus on their perspectives, not their reality. So anyway, so um, I, you know, I, was, I was playing these country songs and stuff. And on the break, I can't, it was my first time there. It was an all white bar. When I say all white, not meaning that black people could not go in, but black people did not go in by their own choice because <laughs> they, they, were not, they were not welcome, yeah. right? I, I've and, seen you know, this movie, 48 Hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly, same thing. Yeah. So Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, right? Yeah, right. So, um, you know, if, if you're not welcome somewhere and alcohol is being served, it's not a good combination. You, you need to stay out. <laughs> So, we know that from playing in bands and that has nothing to do with color. That's right. <laughs> so uh, here, you know, I came off the bandstand on break, only black guy in the place. And um, this white guy approached me and long story short, he, uh, he remarked that, that this was the first time he'd ever heard a black man play piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. Ooh. And, th and this guy was, was a lot, you know, maybe 18 years older than me, 15 to 18 years older than me. I was not offended, but I was rather surprised that, that this guy being older than me did not know the black origin of Jerry Lee Lewis's style of piano playing. Right. And I wasn't trying to be facetious, but I said, well, where do you think Jerry Lee Lewis learned how to play? And he says, what are you talking about? I said, well, Jerry Lee got that style from the same place I did. Black blues and boogie woogie piano players. That's where rockabilly and rock and roll came from. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 Jerry Lee invented that. I said, no, he didn't, you know? I said, look, man, I know Jerry Lee. He's a good friend of mine. He's told me himself. <laughs> Where you learn how to play. The guy didn't buy that either, but he was. But it's true. But um, he damn the facts. Yeah, he was so fascinated with me that he wanted me to come back to his table and to buy me a drink. I don't drink, but I went back there. I asked for a cranberry juice. He paid the lady, and he took his glass and he, like clinked my glass and cheered me. And then he makes this proclamation. You know, this is the first time I ever sat down and had a drink with a black man, and now I'm like totally baffled. Uh, I wasn't suspicious. You know, I was naive. But um, because at that point in my life, I had sat down literally, Brian, with thousands of white people or anybody else and had a right. meal, a conversation, a beverage. How is it that this guy in Frederick, Maryland had never sat down with a black guy before? I mean, what, you know, was he under a rock? Was he in jail? I mean, what was going on? Well, if he was in jail, probably, probably still a few black guys there, yeah, I'm yeah, sure, right? But, um, you know, so I, I asked him innocently, I said, why? He didn't answer me at first. He stared at the tabletop. 
I asked him again, and his buddy elbowed him in the side and said, tell him, tell him, tell him. I said, tell me, because now I'm, I'm like mystified. Right. And he looked back up at me just as plain as day, and he said, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And I just burst out laughing, because now I did not believe him. Because <laughs> I, I know a lot about the Klan. And I know that Klansmen just don't come up and put their arm around some black guy's shoulder and praise their, their uh, musical ability and want to hang out with them and buy them a drink. It doesn't work that way. So, um, okay, this guy's pulling my leg. He thinks I'm jerking him around about Jerry Lee, so he's going to jerk me around about the Klan. I'm laughing. He goes inside his pocket, pulls out his wallet, flips through, and handed me his Klan membership card. I recognize the Klan insignia. It's called a myope or a blood drop emblem. It's a red circle with a white cross and a, and a red blood drop in the center of the white cross. I said, oh my goodness, this is for real. So I stopped laughing. <laughs> it wasn't funny then, right? Yeah, and, right. I, and I gave it back to him. And we talked about the Klan and some other things. But music is what brought us together. And I can yes. tell you, I can tell you without a doubt, without a doubt, because I've had it happen before. Had I just walked into that bar, not as a musician, just say I came, I came in there to dance, you know, one night. Um, oh, yeah. You know, well, wasn't there, wasn't there to dance with? Nothing but white women. Uh, I would have had to fight my way out. I'll, I'll guarantee you that. Yeah. But, but you know, music brought us together because he liked, he liked, you know, what he was hearing, and he was fascinated that a black person could play this music that he was too naive or ignorant to know was invented by black people. <laughs> even, even, you know, Hank Williams Sr. Hank Williams Sr the father of country music, learned to play guitar from a black blues street guitar player named Rufus T-Top Payne. And, and not very many people know that. That's right. But and Hank, Hank uh, Jr., I mean, Hank Sr. would make sandwiches and give them to, to Rufus T-Top Payne, who was sitting on the sidewalks of Montgomery, Alabama, with his, with his uh, guitar case open so people could, could throw quarters in there while he played, sort of like how B.B. King got his start in Memphis on the sidewalk. And, you know, B.B. King's real name is not B.B. King, it's Riley King, Riley King. Where did he get the B.B. from? Because nobody knew his name. They called him B.B. for Blues Boy. Hey, Blues Boy, play this. Blues Boy, play that. Hey, B.B. B.B., exactly. Come on, B.B. Okay? So uh, Rufus T. Todd Payne, uh, would take sandwiches from Hank Sr. and teach him how to play guitar. And Hank Jr., Hank's son, Hank Jr., um, wrote a song called T-Tot about, about his father's idol, this black guy. A lot of white people don't know that because it's not no, in the history true. books. But uh, before we go to the break, I do want to touch on something that you said that I found, I find universal. There are times when I feel uncomfortable in a place or feel uncomfortable with people However, if they know you're a musician and they meet you through music first, they are much more accepting of you as a human being. Mm -hmm. I have found that to be, I mean, there are, I, 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 there were, I went to a Trump rally to cover it. I had some people get upset. They were, you know, calling us all kinds of things in the press pen. And one of them, Donald Trump was uh, at, at his rally was playing free all right now and my band covers it and there was a guy who was singing the songs and he got the lyrics wrong and I, I said no that's that's actually not what he's singing he's singing and I gave him the right lyrics he goes how do you know that you're in the press and I go you know I wasn't born in this press pen <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know I play music I'm in a band he goes Shit, you're in a band? Well, goddamn. And then, he, then he would talk to me. You know, it's not you're not a robot, you're a human being. And so I I I do you find that? I mean, it sounds like you do. Yeah, I do I do find that. I do find that. You know, I mean it's musicians, universal. Yeah, you know, musicians to some degree are are held to a higher level um, and put on a pedestal. Except when you go to play at a hotel, you get you got to load in through the loading dock and through the kitchen, <laughs> you know, and you don't get fed. Up, oh, that's stairs, you don't get fed, and if you're lucky, you have electricity, maybe. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, been on those gigs, brother. Right. <laughs> but you know, but to the people out, out out in the audience who are listening, yeah, you know, a lot a lot of them, you know, want to be you. You know, they, you know, they, because you're, you're, you're center stage, you command a lot of attention. 
uh, you're impressing their girlfriend. Uh, the girlfriend might even leave with you. <laughs> I've had that happen too. Yeah, <laughs> we won't talk about that. That was a long time ago. Another podcast. I've been married for a while. <laughs> That'd be for another podcast. Yes. Yeah, but I, I, but it gives me hope though when I see people that are so um, far apart, so distant politically, and both of them can sit there and and hum the song together, enjoy themselves, and just in the moment. There is no hint of, of the racism, misogyny. There's just pure, unadulterated joy at dancing and singing and enjoying it. And that- okay, But look, crazy. but look again. Okay, yes, I mean, sure. There, you know, there's division oh. with George Bush, there's division with Obama, but this current one stirs up a lot of the, of the, um, of the emotion. Yes. Because right? he's pandering to fear. They're bringing drugs across the border. They're bringing rapists. They're criminals. You know, they're and and, and one thing I notice also is uh, when he's talking about um, uh, black people, white people, uh, Asian people in this country. You know, all hues of colors of Americans. He'll he'll say the American people. I'm bringing the economy up for the American people. I'm bringing jobs back from overseas for the American people. But when he's talking specifically about white people. He doesn't say American people. He says our people. Yes. He says, you know, they're, they're trying to strip away our culture. Yeah, you know, when, when I'm, trying I'm to talking defend the uh, suburban housewives. Our our neighbors are- Our neighbors, are, our neighborhoods, yeah. you know, are being invaded by Antifa. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, they're trying to take down our monuments, you know, and so you know, he's defending the Confederate monuments. Now here's something else, <laughs> a, a, lot, a lot of, listen, all, all white supremacists know this. Uh, definitely everybody in the Klan knows this. The average white person may not know this. I've known it for 30 years, all right? You remember when he went to uh, Mount Rushmore over uh, Fourth of July weekend? Yeah. He's standing there giving his speech and he's defending Confederate monuments with Mount Rushmore in, in, as a backdrop. Right. He says, they're trying to strip away our culture. Now, uh, interesting, he has Mount Rushmore in the background. Because that was built by a Confederate. It was built by a Klansman. Yeah. Okay. A Goodson good right. Borglum, who carved Mount Rushmore, was a Klansman. Yep. He also carved Stone Mountain, Georgia. Uh, he, he didn't finish Stone Mountain because he got pissed off with the people who hired him. And he quit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so somebody else had to come in and finish it. But he was a Klansman. And so everybody knows that. So that backdrop, when, he's, when he made that remark, you know, was a dog whistle. Whenever he said, when, yeah, whenever he says our people, He's referring to white people when he when he says the american people it's anybody and everybody yeah that's a good point we're going to take a short break we'll be right back well time to pay the bills folks and this one i i don't mind doing if <laughs> actually i've actually used this if this 2020 holiday season feels like it's been a long time come and make it worth the wait with Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks makes the perfect gift for family and friends or to treat yourself. All shipped directly to your door. They offer everything you need to bring families together for a delicious holiday feast. Okay, or maybe not, maybe just a delicious festival. Uh, their deluxe grillers assortment package includes a variety of entrees, sides, and desserts. Right now, you can get this mouth-watering package. I, I've never actually seen a mouth water. Oh, well, anyway, plus four free burgers and a free digital meat thermometer, and we all need a good meat thermometer, and exclusive price only available to uh, our listeners. So go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code QUESTION into the search bar. Get a jump on gift shopping with Omaha Steaks. You know, Omaha Steaks isn't just a steak. It, it's actually a, a lot of them. It's a fantastic gift and a safe way to share the joy of the season with Omaha Steaks, guaranteed quality and safety with every order. Order the Deluxe Grillers Assortment Package today, and you'll receive four free Omaha Steak Burgers and a free digital meat thermometer. That's just a great straight line I won't use. When you go to omahasteaks.com and type question in the search bar, that's omahasteaks.com and type question. And if you need to spell it, it's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N in the search bar. And you'll shop for the best gourmet gifts of the season. I, I like a good raw steak, so uh, enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. Hi, 
Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today with us is civil rights activist, and, <laughs> and more importantly, because I love music, <laughs> one of the best keyboard players I've ever met, Daryl Davis. And Daryl, I want to, I want to, let's do a hypothetical for a second, if we can. Sure. Hypothetically, uh, after Joe Biden becomes president on January 20th, he wants to address the problems of division in the United States and wants to put together a blue ribbon panel to look at how we chart a course going forward that gets everyone working together. A, who would you want on that uh, blue ribbon panel besides you? Because I have just appointed you the head of that blue ribbon panel. And I was gonna say, he needs to call me. Yeah, <laughs> well, see, I'm smart. I know who I know who I would, if I were doing it, I'd put you right there at the head of the table. And so I would be there. at the head of the table, who do you put on it? Oh my goodness. Well, I, I would bring in some formers, some form, when I say formers, I mean former white supremacists, uh, former far left, far right people, because you, you, you need a, diver, a diverse panel. Just like you know, when the police put together a gang task force, it's not all police officers. They bring in ex-gang members who've been there, who've lived it, who have overcome it. They know the recruiting tactics. They know what, what got them in, what lured them in. They know the, the inner workings. They know how to get out. They know how to pull people out. So you need that diverse panel. And of course, you know, there'll be a lot of controversy, of course, if you try to bring in a, a former white supremacist, something like that. But that's what has to be done. Well, that's, let's talk, yeah, I agree with you. Let's talk about that because as much as we talk about unity, I don't think that it can exist unless we learn to accept each other. You, you can, look, you can hate me all you want. You can't act on the hate. And there's right. nothing I can do to keep you from hating me. Right. But when it comes to how people are treated in the country and how we proceed as, as a country to row in the same direction, everybody's got to have a space at the table or it doesn't work. It okay, so... So here's here's what we what we have correct? to look at. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. And here's what we have to look at. All right. There have always been white people who have participated in our civil rights marches, demonstrations, boycotts, protests, sit-ins, etc. We can start with the beginning of the civil rights movement with Rosa Parks, 1955. Yeah. And my on, grandfather and grandmother marched with Martin Luther King and. Was there it? you go, Martin Luther King, another one through the 60s. They've yeah. always been a smattering of white people who participate. They got it, they saw it, you know, and they and they wanted to contribute and participate. Um, but at the time, the powers that be, and that's a polite way of saying the white establishment, the white power structure, they would see this large sea of nothing but black people and they would plug their ears, put cotton <laughs> balls in and shut us down. You know, they didn't want to hear anything about, you know, uh, equal justice and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so they shut us down. Today, uh, when you look at these protests, those pow the powers that be, they're seeing a large sea of white people, more white people than they've ever seen before, joining us in these protests and these boycotts and, and these things. Uh, so now they're like, what's going on here? They're pulling out their earplugs or else inserting their hearing aids and now they're listening. And as a result, things are changing a lot faster. Um, Back in the past, it would take months and months to, um, to uh, uh, charge a police officer with, with, a, with a, shooting, right. a shooting a black if person. If they ever if did. If they ever did. All right. And, you know, and, if they, and, and if the person did get charged, would he ever be convicted? You know, and when would the trial be held, et cetera? So now these things are happening regular, quickly. And, and we've never seen a larger ripple effect than what's happening right now. Check it out, right? These protests in the wake of George Floyd's lynching uh, were geared predominantly at the police, but there's a larger ripple effect that, that has taken place. For example, NASCAR banning the Confederate flag. Who would have thought that was ground zero? Right. Of all places, right. of all places, the state of Mississippi removing right. the Confederate flag out of its main body flag. The state yeah. of Mississippi, the sovereign state, right? Yeah. do that. All right. And um, uh, I mean, there's an old joke about Mississippi, too. <laughs> Remember the <laughs> and, then, and when we talk about quick change and mm -hmm. how this is perpetuated, 
I always go back, you know, because I grew up listening to comics and bands, and uh, Richard Pryor was my favorite. And there were two. I'm things- interviewing his daughter next week. <laughs> There were two things that Richard said that, uh, I, and I got to meet him once and I was very happy to do it. Um, but there were two things that he said that stuck with me. Back in the seventies, he said, you all don't mind the police. White people don't mind police because they live in your neighborhoods. You know, you go, hey, officer Timkins, let's go bowling. But with a black person, it's like, I am reaching for my license. Do not shoot my ass, right? So right. it was the difference in how, and he made a joke of it, but it was, there was a huge difference and there is now, but like you said, I think it's quickly evaporating where it, it, it stood as a standing puddle for years. And then the other thing that he said was when he talked about Mississippi, he says, why do you think, and he made a joke of it. He goes, why do you think the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor? Most of them were, you know, on California and never got to see, you know, white people in Mississippi. Those are white people you keep on chains. Other white people are afraid of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, there was some truth to that. Yeah. And, and to see them change that quickly, I get it. And you know what? I'll even go back to something that we talked about before as, as an influencer. And it has been with us for a while, but that night when they announced that, um, Biden had won. And I went to uh, Lafayette Square. It was a spontaneous eruption of joy and, mm-hmm. and partying. And I looked across and I saw America. I saw Muslims, whites, Christians, blacks, uh, gay, straight. You, It was just a vivid, just a wide cross section of the country. It wasn't demonstrably one color or one ethnicity or you saw the united states states that's exactly what i saw it gave me hope but i go back and you you tell me whether i'm right or wrong i think one of the biggest instigators of bringing us all together has been hail hail rock and roll deliver me from the days of old yes you know and and that and that lyric is is uh, is exactly about that I, yes. even, I even asked Chuck Berry that one time and he smiled at me and nodded because, you know, he, he was never overtly um, political. You no. Know? Um, no, he stayed away from that because he had fans on both sides. You know, unlike somebody like, say, like a Bob Dylan or Joan Baez. Right. Who's put their views out there on the Vietnam mm-hmm. War or whatever else was going on. Um, but uh, but that one verse, that, that last verse of, uh, of School Days is yeah. the song. Uh, it, it, it didn't really fit in with all the other verses. Just no, kinda, it didn't. It came out of nowhere. And, and I thought about it. I said, I wonder. So I asked him on a gig one time, is, is this about, you know, uh, you know, break, because it wasn't until Chuck Berry, you know, music, mu- music theaters, concert venues were segregated. If Correct. they allowed black people in at all, there were ropes going around the seating section with signs hanging off that says seating for white patrons only or colored seating only. Yeah. And you sat in, in the seat as designated by the color of your skin, not your ticket number, the color of your skin, all right? And you did not cross sit. If you and I you know, went, went to, uh, to a concert together, we could not sit together or we would be arrested. That was the law. Well, my right. ass would have gotten and, arrested a lot. <laughs> and uh, so, and, you know, you, you go to see Frank Sinatra and, and, and the Glenn Miller Orchestra in the 40s or whatever, um, you, you obeyed those laws and people, and people did. But then two phenomenons happened in the 1950s. One was the invention of rock and roll by Chuck Berry, all right? The black artists, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Bo Diddley, Fats Domino, they invented rock and roll. Rock and roll was a black invention. It was popularized by the great white artists like Elvis Presley, Chuck, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Bill Haley in the comments, Buddy Holly, Carl Perkins. Yeah, Buddy Holly. Okay, on and on, all right? They popularized it. But anybody who plays rock music, Rolling Stones, Beatles, Ted Nugent, Van Halen, Elton John, all their DNA goes back to Chuck Berry. And the Beatles admitted and, that. And, and, they, and they, had, they had no choice. Yeah. It's and a, what was funny, there was a great line one time where Chuck Berry was, they said, do you mind the Beatles uh, stealing your stuff? And he goes, no, because I wanted her. I, I love the fact that, and, and they gave him credit for it. And well, Beatles, uh, he, uh, he, he sued the Beatles. He, yep. also sued, he also sued the no, Beach he sued, Boys. He sued Harrison, George Harrison. No, no, he didn't sue George Harrison. He, he, sued, he sued the Beatles 
uh, because John Lennon had taken a, a line out of a Chuck Berry song and made it the first line of Come Together. Here come yep. old flat top, he come. Yep, exactly. It comes from You Can't Catch Me. That's right, You Can't okay. Catch Me. That's correct. Then, yeah, uh, I do remember that. You're yeah, right. Yeah, George Harrison covered uh, uh, he's, he's, um, so fine. he's So Fine, My Sweet Lord, right? Yeah. He also sued the Beach Boys because their biggest hit, Surfing USA, was just um, a, a rewrite of Sweet Little 16. Yeah, right? it was. But anyway, so, so, so the first phenomenon was these Black people invented rock and roll. These white artists popularized it. And for the first time, in the history of this country, when people like Elvis and Chuck and people would come out on stage playing this new beat, this boogie woogie with a backbeat, that's what made rock and roll. Yeah. White, white kids and black kids could not sit still. They bounced up out of their seats. They knocked over those signs and ropes. And for the first time, they were boogieing and dancing in the aisles together. together. And yes. the, police, the police would come in and shut down the show. They'd pull the cords out of the wall, turn off the music. This concert was over because it was causing race mixing. And see here, those black kids and white kids did not know each other. They didn't even know each other's names because consider this: this is the mid fifties. Right. They did not go to school together. Schools were schools were segregated. Right. right. You know, black kids lived on that side of the tracks. White kids lived on this side of the tracks. All right. They, they, separate they were, but equal. Separate, yeah, supposedly, but they did not oh, go to the same the, schools. Yeah. And yet they're dancing together. That was a no-no. And, and, and dancing together, you know, lead, leads to the horizontal mambo, right? So, so you know, miscegenation, right? Well, if we're lucky. <laughs> it might so, get slapped in the face, but, you know, some of us got lucky. <laughs> right. So uh, this was happening. And, and that was the first time in, in the history of this country that music had, had caused that. So that's what Chuck was talking about. Deliver me hail, from the days, days of, of old. Hail, hail, yeah. rock and roll. Oh, yeah. 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 That's, I, I, I love it. I dig that so much, man. That, that's one of my favorite lines in that song. And, in, uh, and I'm glad you confirmed it for me. <laughs> yeah. but, that, but I look at that and, and um, where we came from growing up and where we are now and wonder why we're not farther along. And I, it, it, I don't, Daryl, does it ever? It's I, not far, it's not farther along, um, Brian, because this country, as, as proactive as we like to think we are, we are not proactive. We are no. reactive. We and, don't want to have these conversations. We want to just keep them under the carpet. We want to be in denial. We want to lock them in the closet. We don't want to talk about stuff like this it, because it's taboo. It, yeah, but the thing that pisses me off is you're denying your own experience, your own life experiences because when we grew up you know a lot of a lot of it's guilt a lot of it's guilt i mean how, no. how, how do you not how do you how do you reconcile uh taking families selling their kids on the courthouse steps separating uh husbands from wives and selling kids to some other plantation owner and selling brothers and sisters separating them and then I, beating I, them I, and whipping them and right them in chains I, I'm sure and raping is, them i'm you know? sure there is that guilt i you know, my family didn't get here until the night until 1900. So I, you know, like I can't, I can't share in that guilt, but I understand it. But I don't right. understand why you don't get past it. I, to me, it's like you. Well, it's like well hold on. How, how, how do you, how do you get past it without an apology? And then, and then, and then you're told. Hold on. You're, 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 you're told. Hold on. You're told. You're told. Well. Why should I apologize for slavery? I didn't own any slaves. I can't control what my great-great-grandfather did. Why should I apologize for it? Well, who do you but apologize to? You apologize to the descendants, okay? It, and no how one, do you do that? Listen, it is, it is not, it is, not um, it is a symbolic apology. No one is accusing anybody today uh, of blaming them, the, the descendants of uh, slave owners, for slavery. They were not even around. So no, they're right. not to blame for slavery, but you apologize for it symbolically. I'll give you a true example that, that happened to me, all right? I was giving a lecture at uh, Michigan State University uh, some years ago in Lansing, Michigan. And um, white girl, uh, totally non-racist at all, uh, she did not understand why an apology was necessary today when when uh, her, her ancestors owned slaves, but she certainly didn't. Why should she? apologize or feel that apology is necessary today when there are no whites today owning slaves. I said, it is symbolic. I said, let's say 
uh, I'm a student here. Uh, I'm one of your classmates here at uh, Michigan State and uh, I live in the dorms and you live here, you're from Lansing. And so now it was, it was like right around Thanksgiving time, like, like it is right now. And, um, and you come to me and you say, hey, Daryl, are you going back, back to the East Coast for Thanksgiving to visit your family? And I say, no, um, I can't afford it. I'm gonna save my money and go at Christmas time. Um, so, so she says, well, my grandparents told me, you know, if I wanted to, I could invite over some of my classmates to have Thanksgiving dinner with us. And, you know, would you like to come? And I said, sure. So she comes from my dormitory, picks me up and some other kids. And we go over to her grandparents' house and all the other kids there are white, except for me. And uh, where we're sitting there, her grandfather made she some- She didn't awesome know you weren't white? No, 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 she knows, she knows, she knows I'm black. So, but her, but her grand, I'm kidding, you know, I'm kidding. She, she didn't bother to check with her grandparents. Is uh. it okay? Is it okay if I bring a black guy? But because, <laughs> you know, she's not, she's not racist, right? right. So, you know, she just brings her friends. I'm one of her friends. So um, I say, and, and let's say your grand, your grandfather makes some off the wall racist remark, mm. you know? And I said, now, when you're giving me a ride back to my dormitory to drop me off, aren't you going to apologize to me? She goes, yeah, of course I will. I said, but guess what? You're, you, you did not make that remark, but yet you are apologizing for your ancestor, your grandfather. It's symbolic. He's the one who made it, but you are apologizing for him. She goes, I get it. I understand now. I get it. Listen, we apologize in this country to Native Americans for what yes. we did to them. We apologize to the, to the uh, Japanese Americans who we put in internment camps, all right? But we have never apologized for slavery. No. And the person who came the closest was Bill Clinton. Yep. He did not apologize. He admitted that it was wrong. But saying yep. something is wrong and saying we apologize are two different things. Do you think that's the biggest impetus to go yes. forward? Listen, absolutely. If, if you're sitting in a movie theater. I hell, if that's all it takes, what up? Listen, 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 listen. I'm let sorry. Let, let, let me say something to you. Look, look at it this sure. way. You're sitting in a movie theater, all right, watching a movie. And and say you say you're in the middle of, of the of the of the of the uh, row of seats, and um, and somebody decides they have to go to the bathroom or, or go get popcorn or whatever, and they they have to go by you, so they accidentally step on your foot as they go by, and they don't say, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, they don't apologize to you, they have just ruined your whole night. Because now you can't focus on the movie. This guy stepped on my foot. I'm pissed off. He didn't even say he was sorry. Blah 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 blah, and you can't even focus on the movie. I might steal his popcorn but, when he comes back. <laughs> but if he said, hey, hey, man, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to step on your foot. You know, that, that changes everything. You're okay. I hear you. You're, you're back and on I the agree with you. It's a simple two words. I'm sorry. I, hear I apologize. You. I hear you and I agree with you. Okay? That's all it takes. But yeah. see, here's the problem. Why they don't want to do it. Because when you apologize for something, you are accepting accountability. Guilt. Yeah. A guilt and accountability. I think it's and, not with, the accountability. And, I think it's well, the guilt. Well, no, no. Well, it's, it's the guilt, but it's definitely the accountability because when you when you admit fault, then people want money. Oh, well, yeah. But I, I think in personal relationships, it's it's more about, um, and I mean, I have a few friends that are white. And they, <laughs> I, believe it or not, I have a white friend. And, um, and when I've talked to them about it, it's always like, well, I, I, why should I feel guilty? It's not the accountability, it's the guilty part. But what you said, and I've never been able to explain it like that because uh, guess what? I'm, I, you know, I didn't grow up, you know, black, so I can't. You, you have what's called white privilege. Yeah, I do, and that's well. Although I got to tell you, mine has always been conditional. They don't like the last name, and the KKK hates me because I'm Catholic and Middle Eastern. But now uh, Catholics can join the KKK. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that now they just hate me for being Middle Eastern. But you were only, I mean, some Black people had the same religion as the uh, KKK. Some of them Well, listen, let, let, let me just give you- So a, they hate a, you for your color. Let, let, let me just give you a quick history on the KKK, religious-wise, okay? In the, in, the, in the original formation of the Klan, all right, from 1865 to 1915, yeah. it, it, went, it went dormant in 1871, but from 1865, there were Jewish people in the Klan. Yes. And there were and there were Catholics. The Klan was simply a reflection of the Confederacy. And certainly there were Catholics in the in the Confederacy and there were Jews in the Confederacy, right? And that when, when it was plan. in the but original Klan. When it was revived in 1915 right. after the uh, Birth of a Nation movie, they made new bylaws 
that uh, no Jews and no Catholics, yeah. only white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. They began allowing Catholics in yeah. in the in the nineteen in the late nineteen seventies. Now, why didn't they allow uh, Jews and Catholics? Well, they had some new bylaws. You, you had to hold allegiance to the United States, uh, and you were not allowed to reveal any clan business to an alien. They call anybody who is a non-member an alien. All right, and um, you had to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Well. Jews were barred at that point because they believe in Jesus Christ, but just as a normal man, not the son of God. So right. they were barred for that reason. Catholics were barred for two reasons. One, they did not, they, they held allegiance to the Pope. To Rome. Where, exactly. So, so they're not holding it to the United States. That's why and they didn't two, like Kennedy. And two, exactly. And two, if they, if they go out and do some night riding, in other words, terrorizing, lynching <laughs> people and things like that, where do they go on Sunday? They go to confessional. So now right. they're revealing clan business to an alien. The priest is not in the clan, right? So, so they barred Catholics. But then, when 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 membership numbers went down, decreased, they had to open the doors a little wider to, to rebuild the membership. So they began allowing Catholics back in. And some of the Catholics are as good a racist as anybody else. Uh, Listen, I, I know racists in all colors and all religions. Yeah, I do too. We're going to take another short break. We'll be right back, and we're we'll got to do this all night. But we'll we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks makes the perfect gift for family and friends or to treat yourself. All shipped directly to your door. They offer everything you need to bring families together for a delicious holiday feast. When you go to omahasteaks.com and type question in the search bar, that's omahasteaks.com and type question. And if you need to spell it, it's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N in the search bar. And you'll shop for the best gourmet gifts of the season. I, I like a good raw steak, so uh, enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. As usual, Daryl, it's always fascinating having you around, man. I just like talking about this stuff a lot, and I wish more people felt comfortable talking about it. It would do the world a, a hell of a lot of good, I think. So I placed you as the head of the president's Blue Ribbon commission on sol on unity and solving some of the problems and i'm placing you as my right hand man <laughs> together we'll, we'll solve the problems of you know <laughs> the, the white supremacists are in a kind of a catch-22 right now of course you know they got a lot of kooks out there but right. they have to protect joe biden because uh as racist as, as they are they're also they don't want kamala harris <laughs> exactly they're also they're also um they're also uh male chauvinists they don't yeah. want to see a female president, let alone a black female president. Yeah. So, so they're hoping you know, he he finishes his, his four years and they get somebody else in there. We better hope that white boy stays safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true, though. Oh my God, <laughs> that's like a Richard Pryor joke too. He said he was well, no joke though. Yeah, it is no joke, but that's it. It's very true, but. Pryor made the same joke. He said that if he were ever the black first black president, he said, you may not like me, but you, you wouldn't want to get rid of me because my, my uh, uh, vice president, Senora Benitez, was right behind. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where do you think you I, what, I love what you said earlier about it's the best of times and we're turning the page. Yes, we are. And, you know, um, it's better that coronavirus took out a, a quarter million Americans. But it also Harry? gave it also gave Americans, especially white Americans, um, pause for thought because they, you know, they they could not go to work. Places were they were on lockdown. Uh, businesses are closed. All that kind of stuff. So what do you do when you're at home? You watch TV. You get on the internet. And they watched a murder, a lynching unfold before their very eyes with George Floyd. They saw what we've been talking about for decades, and they're like, Oh my God, I don't believe it. Oh my God, you know, I, I got to do something. I, now, now I understand you know, you know, what, what, what they've been talking about for, for, for decades. And despite the risk to their own health, they went out in the crowds and marched up and down the street. And it was that collective voice of whites and blacks working together that has brought through this, this uh, ripple of changes that we're seeing happen so rapidly now. We must focus on that collective, because that collective voice of everybody working together, like you saw out in front of the White House the other day, that's what makes change more effective a lot faster. I agree. Where do you see us in five years? 
Uh, I, I'm I'm willing to bet that uh, that Biden does not run again. Um, He's as much as said so. Yeah. yeah and since uh, Kamala already has a uh, a foot in the door, so to speak, I bet she'll probably run. If, and if they do a good job uh, for this country over the next four years, I'll bet she'll make it. I'll bet she that, make that it. Would be and by the way, she uh, she's a, she's a graduate of my uh, alma mater. She is. Howard University, yeah. Well, she is. She's from Howard. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's wait a minute. I did know that. What am I talking about? I interviewed her on the uh, when she was during the um, uh, uh, debates, mm -hmm. and I, I found her uh, enjoyable and humorous. Actually, um, great sense of humor and uh, easy to talk to, uh, and that's tough to do during a, a debate situation where you've got you know swarms right. of reporters <laughs> hovering over your every word. But I found her to be a you know better than some of the others that I interviewed. So I, let's close it on a hopeful note and that's you know the best of times and, and turning the page. What do you think is the number one, you have identified an apology, a symbolic apology from mm -hmm. government and I would assume- Of course, uh, Obama couldn't do it. It would it'd be moot, right? Right, right. <laughs> I, I'm sorry you white people enslaved us. <laughs> He, he could have said that. Boy, that would have drove some of the KKK members wild. But, um, but all right, so that you think is coming. What do you think is the number one thing that the far right needs to feel to come to the middle? Okay, what, what, the oh, the, the biggest, okay. real quick. The biggest thing that they're fearing right now yeah. is the year 2042, all right, which is only 22 years from now. And the media does not talk about that for some reason, but they know about it. Uh, in 2042, for the first time in the, in the, in the history of the United States, ah. this country will be 50-50, 50% white, 50% non-white for the first time. And between 2045 and 2050, whites will become a minority in this country. And while there are plenty, plenty of white people who welcome that and say, hey, I'm cool with that. You know, that's evolution. That's what happens. I don't have a problem with that there are plenty who are becoming unhinged by it. Because when you have sat in the throne of power for 401 years, I came here 401 years ago as a descendant of slaves from 1619 to 2020, 401 years. When you sat there for 401 years in the throne of power, you don't want to get off it. Look look, look at this man who, who sat on the throne of power for just four years. He doesn't want to get off of it. Talking about Donald Trump, right? Yeah, yeah, so, well. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know, power is, is power. You know, you don't, you don't want to give it up. But most so, white people don't have that power. That's what, it's like Lyndon Johnson says, you can get the poorest they have white it, fellow. They have it as long, they have it as long as they are a minority and they can keep somebody below them. That's what they're that's talking the about. That's the point. That's, okay? Lyndon Johnson right. said, that basically, if you want to get a white person on your side, you, you denigrate black people. And, mm -hmm. and because you make them feel more important than even, they could be poorer than black people, but they feel above them. Exactly, precisely. Okay, so they don't want to see that happen. The landscape is changing. Some of them feel that uh, if, if, the, if the minority becomes the majority, they're going to oppress, they're going to oppress them and make them pay for what they did for 401 years. That's not going to happen, but they fear that. They fear that wow. and because of guilt or whatever else. So they, they want to stop that. And that's why we're seeing all these groups pop up and try to recruit. Come join us. We're going to take our country back. We're going to make America great again. We're going to build that wall on and on and on. And so people out of fear go and join these groups. But when the group fails to take the country back, people get frustrated and they say, you know what, if the Klan can't do it or the, or the Nazis can't do it or the Proud Boys can't do it, I'll do it myself. And that's when they walk into a black church and boom, 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 or into a tree of life synagogue, boom, 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 or the Walmart in El Paso and start taking out the Mexican people there. These are lone wolves. We have intelligence operatives from agencies that can infiltrate groups, just like we had operatives who infiltrated the, the militia that was gonna take out uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. They were able to gather intelligence and foil that plot, but you cannot infiltrate a lone wolf. And as no. we get closer and closer, to 2042, unfortunately, we're going to see more and more lone wolves, and so, this is why this is why we have to be proactive. All right, you saw a lone wolf the other day, about a month ago, when that 17-year-old boy came from Illinois into Wisconsin, shot three protesters, killed two, and blew the third one's arm off, and then went home. That's a lone wolf. 
and what you know, wasn't a rat. You know, that was all right. I, I'm going to take an extra minute here, though. But I remember when I was with America's Most Wanted and I was interviewing some of these white racists from like uh, North Dakota, South Dakota. And I pulled one of them aside and he, I said, why'd you leave? And he yeah. said, he Come said, eventually, he, okay, well, well, real quick then. Eventually he said, you know, I, I started fighting this stuff and uh, I, I said, what am I trying to defend? What's so great about the white race? We're all one race. So um, real quick, what do, you, what do far left guys have to do to come to the middle? Stop insulting the far right, have a conversation, be civil, treat them the way you want to be treated. There you go. That's And that applies to everybody. Yeah, it does. Listen, Daryl, thanks for being with us. I know you've got a scoot. I, I, I'd love to have you back anytime. It was great. Let's do it. We will do it again. Thank All you, right. Brian. Thank Take you, care. Daryl. Bye-bye. Later. And that is Just Ask the Question. I'm, I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again next time.